Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here once again, back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. And we have a very exciting show today. We have Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey, who, who I like to sometimes like get in the trenches, but now we're going to get into the vineyards. They are the founders of Barefoot Wine, which is considered the largest wine brand of all time. That is huge. And they did it by not just having a great product, but having an amazing experience to go along with the product. But before we get into the interview, a couple of quick reminders, as we always do. If you've got a story about amazing service that you'd like to share with us, I would love to have that. Or if you have a question, send it to me. You can hit me on any one of the social channels, such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and more. I'm there. You know where I am. And just use the hashtag AskShep, and I'll either share the story or answer the questions right there, or I might answer them on this show or my TV show, which is Be Amazing or Go Home, which can be found on uh, Amazon Prime and Apple TV, um, basically a lot of streaming services. And now we've moved a lot of the episodes onto YouTube and just go to beamazing.tv. All right, we are now into our interview. It's time. Michael Houlihan, Bonnie Harvey, founders of Barefoot Wine uh, and Business Audio Theater, New York Times bestselling authors. They're writers, they're speakers, they're advisors, they're hikers. Uh, and they're now our friends on Amazing Business Radio. Thanks for being here. Yay, we are so happy to be here, Chef. Yeah, That's great. great. I get two for the price of one. This is great. By the way, if you haven't figured out, that was Bonnie. Say hi, Michael. Hi. <laughs> hi, was... Michael. hi, Michael. Hi, Michael. There you go. Very good. Very good. Well, real quick, let's just give us a background on who you are and, and why we need to listen to you. Just your credibility and your background is, is enough, but I want to hear it from you, the story. Well, Michael and I were both business consultants and we discovered Sonoma County, which is so beautiful. It's yes, so it green, it's got the Russian River and goes out to the Pacific Ocean. So we decided to move here and find clients here. And what were you doing at that time? Pardon? What were you doing at that time? Well, I was helping small business owners to organize their offices, and Michael was working with uh, people to help them in real estate transactions and contracts and that sort of thing. Yeah, right? and anything that they had to do with the government, because I had a government career prior to this, so I wasn't afraid of the bureaucrats. Okay, yep. But and neither of us were wine drinkers, but this yeah. is right here in the middle of, of wine drinking country, USA, here in Northern California. So we had a lot of clients that were in the wine industry, um, but we really knew nothing about wine. But I did have a client who was a grape grower, and he had been selling his grapes for three years to a winery that hadn't paid him. And once I, I started when looking, that happened. oh no. my, I was taking a look at his books and I said, hey, Mark, it was Mark Lyon, who's winemaker for Sebastiani. He also had a hundred acre vineyard. And that's what I was working with him uh, on. And I said, you know, we've got some money here. Can I help you collect it? Let me take a look at the contract. And he said, well, we did business on a handshake. 
And I said, well, that's great, but they haven't paid in three years. Um, and I don't know if I can be in a position to help you out with this, but I've got a new boyfriend over here who seems to know a lot about business. Maybe we can get him to go out there and collect that $300,000 that's owed you. So she sends me out there, and when I get there- You're the there, bag man, you're the collector. Yeah, you know, I just met this girl. What kind of a <laughs> life is this like? What, you know, married to the mafia or what? So I get to the, I get to the guard and he says, I hope you're not here to collect any money. We just declared uh, chapter 11 bankruptcy this morning. I said, oh, uh, well, you know, I know I'm going to a meeting and I'm thinking, do I want to go through with this meeting? And I sat there and I realized that these guys weren't going to come up with any cash, but we could affect a trade for bulk wine and bottling services. And so that's what we did. We traded the debt for wine and bottling services. Okay, but that meant that the wine was going to get bottled in a bottle with no label to pay the debt. So we had to come up with a label, we had to come up with a brand, we had to come up with a marketing program, we had to identify the client, we had to develop the customer experience, everything. Get all uh, the licenses but required. we thought, you know, hey, it's better than a stick in the eye, you know, we came out with something, you know, and, and besides, how hard could it be, right? <laughs> and, and so, so you were trying to collect money from somebody who had this asset, but what about the winery that you were representing? Did they say, oh, hey, we want a piece of this, or did they want to be a partner with you on it? We were what representing happened? a grape grower. Oh, it you were representing a grape grower. The winery owed my client, our client, mm. uh, the $300,000 for his grapes. So we, we wind up getting a contract from the bankrupt winery to trade us you know, $300,000 worth of material and services in lieu of money. But the guy that we're working for says he doesn't want to go into that kind of business. He's actually smarter than us. He realizes, <laughs> he realizes. I just, what, want, I'm, I just want to grow grapes. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to grow grapes and be a winemaker. So we said, okay, tell you what, it's too much money to give up. So we'll take the contract and we'll owe you the money. You got a better chance of getting paid by us than from the lawyers at the bankrupt winery. And he agreed. And so that's how we wound up with $300,000 worth of goods and services to start Barefoot Wine. And the rest of it was an incredible journey, learning experience. Uh, you know, and today we write about it, we speak about it, uh, we advise other people who are in the same position trying to start a business, you know, what's important, what to do. Uh, what to look for. Uh, we spent 20 years building that brand. When we finally got it to a point where we were selling about 600,000 cases a year, it was in 28 countries. It was all over the United States. One of the fastest growing brands in the U.S. We sold it to E&J Gallo. They are the largest wine brand in the world. Ernest so they took it and now, now wine company. Wine company, I'm sorry, in the world. And, and so then they hired us to show them how we did it because they couldn't believe that we built this brand with no money uh, and no major, you know, investments, starting with a three hundred thousand dollar debt. So that's so how we got tell, started. Tell me, there, there's. By the way, I, I I think of Orson Welles, who's no longer with us, mm. on his TV commercials. We will sell no wine before it's time. That was an Ernest and Julio Gallo commercial, wasn't it? <laughs> right. We yes. say we will sell no wine before it's sold. Yeah, we'll sell no wine before we're paid. How's that? That's it. That's the hardest part. So you use customer experience 
to create this brand. And let's get into it because that's what we're really here to talk about. Sure, sure. Well, we started with no knowledge of the industry and no money. So you can believe we went out and asked a lot of questions. We asked our customers, we felt were the distributors, the retail uh, buyers, as well as the consumers. So we asked all of them what they wanted. We asked them what worked for them and what didn't work for them. We also asked uh, the bottling line manager what he saw that moved quicker, what he knew about a label, what our label should look like. He thought we were crazy for asking him that, but he gave us some very excellent information that um, helped us succeed in the design of the label. All right, two, two big takeaways right away here. Number one, obvious. Talk to your customers, ask them, what do you want? Okay, but you recognize three customers and it's important that sometimes there's more than one customer. You had your distributors, you had your retailers who got the wine from the distributor, but you also had a consumer, someone like me who buys from a retailer. So there's three levels of customers. You're talking to them, you're listening to them, but then you went a step further. You went to people that are normally not in the business uh, process who would not normally make a decision like you're making and you say, what do you think? And there's right. gold in them Dar Hills, as they say, right? Yeah, we, we say make friends with people in low places. And we don't mean that in a disparaging way. We mean people who have dirt under their fingernails that are handling, you know, the, the products, dealing with the customers, you know, the people that are actually doing the job, the clerks, the for, forklift operators, the truckers, they'll tell you things that the white collar people would never dream up. Like make sure that your package is labeled this certain way or it won't get through the system or make sure your label looks this certain way or it won't sell or make sure this or make sure that. And I mean, these are like things that are very commonsensical when you have those kind of blue collar jobs, but the white collar people, they don't think about it. They don't think that it's that important. Wow. Wow. I get that. I get that. I just, I wrote an article not long ago, my friend, Patricia Fripp, who's one of the most amazing speech coaches in the world, who used to also do speeches on customer service. And she was leaving a hotel and she was talking to the driver and somehow or another they got into a conversation and she found out that this driver uh, is just an independent, you know, uh, not really limousine driver, but a private sedan driver. And they say, yeah, about once a month, the manager of the hotel comes to the office where all the other drivers are and brings a big box of donuts and they sit around and they talk about, hey, what do you hear people saying about our, our hotel? So in a sense, he went to, uh, like he found a friend in a low place or a group of, I like that. Finding yeah. friends in low places. I'm gonna write an article about that and I'm gonna attribute it to you. Thank, well, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Make yep. friends in low places. Well, you know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, you know, what we learned about our customer and, and the customer's expectations. One of the things that we learned that was really interesting was at the time when we started Barefoot, all the buyers were males and they were all about what vintage is the wine and what vineyard is it and all this kind of pseudo French snobbery. You um, mean the distributors and the retailers? Yes. But not at the consumer level. No, not at so, the no. So go ahead. I'm sorry. The gatekeepers. And and that's why we have Bonnie to keep you in line. Right. So that's so, true. So sure. one of these one of these gatekeepers, you know, he just took the gloves off and he said, 
listen, he says, you know, if you're going to do this, he says, you got to make a label that has the name the same as the logo. It's got to be visible from four feet away so she can see it when she's pushing her cart down the aisle. In other words, a woman. And he says, you know, don't make it a hill or a leap or anything like that. He says, make it a name that's in plain English that she can remember. So this is like gold, you know, and I get this in about 30 seconds. And then the guy says, get out of my office. I don't have time for you. But he began that. You said, I've got this product and I can bottle it up any way you want. How do you want it? Yeah. And this and was he the, told largest, the largest chain store buyer in California. Yeah. And he said, get this, Shep. He said, nobody's ever asked me that before. Wow. So yeah. he gave you great advice. And he, he also gave you some insight, which is, you know, and I had someone on the show not that long ago talking about one of the most powerful consumers in our world is the woman buyer who makes huge amounts of decisions for all kinds of things ranging from you know business to home and personal and so this is important hey let's take a quick break when we come back i want you to stay on this story but i love it you asked your customer and the customer actually said nobody's ever asked me that before well hello out there <laughs> Lots of lessons to learn from Michael and Bonnie. We're coming right back. Don't go away. Cult is not a scary word. My book, The Cult of the Customer, proves it. It helps you design a strategy to lead customers and employees through five cultural phases or cults. And good news, I've revised and updated the book. The new edition, The Cult of the Customer, is available for purchase now. It features case studies, tips, and tactics to guide you on the journey from uncertainty to amazement and build a customer-focused culture, a cult of the customer. So, what are you waiting for? Go to www.cultofthecustomer.com. Go there today and order. Join the cult that turns satisfied customers into customer evangelists. The cult of the customer. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking to Michael Houlihan and Bonnie Harvey about their story about how they started uh, Barefoot Wine, grew it to one of the largest brands, if not the largest in the world. And how did they do it? No, I'm being corrected. Yes, it was Ian J. Gallo, our acquirer, that it, took it the largest, the largest brand. wine brand in the world. Ah, Absolutely. I got it. That's well, much too big for us to do. But we were one of the top selling wines in the nation. There we go. And we went to work for Ian J. Gallo to show him how to do it. I love that. So you're showing the big guys how to do it. And you want to know why? I get it. You come from a completely different background. This is so important. People who are in an industry need to look outside of their industry to learn from others. You came from the outside, so you had that knowledge coming in. Plus, you did things that nobody ever did before. Um, nobody ever credited the customers with knowledge and um, understanding who the typical buyer is. Anyway, I, enough of me talking, continue on. The story continues. Well, I'd like to tell you how we got the word out without paying for advertising. You that see, would be very better. interesting to a we, lot of people. Yes, <laughs> we, we started with no money. And of course, we weren't going to get any money until we started selling the product. Well, our number one chain store buyer that gave us the wonderful information, he said, 
I can't buy this. Nobody knows about it. You've got to go out and make it a household word by selling every little shop, every mom and pop. So Michael set about doing that, but we didn't have money for advertising and that's what everybody wanted to see. So we had to find a way to get the word out. Again, we went to the community, we went to the consumers, we went to the retailers, and we said, what is it that's going on around your community with your shoppers that they're interested in? And they were interested in community fundraisers, in nonprofits that helped a small group of people in a neighborhood. And so we started supporting these nonprofits and we would tell people where to buy our product when we donated the product. And eventually in a short period of time, we started donating our time as well to their cause. And because we were supporting them, they supported us. So this allowed us to go into retail stores and say, well, we're supporting the boys and girls club down the street here for their fundraiser. Would you like to be part of that? And they'd say, oh, yeah. Well, our next question is, where do you want the stack? You see? Ah, uh, well, the stack of product, right. <laughs> exactly. And because we had no followers at the time, we joined groups that did have followers, which was in the community, which were these nonprofits. So right. then their followers uh, would follow our product. So, so this is important too. I talk about the community concept of giving back. There's something called the law of reciprocity. The more you give, the more you get. And while I think that the, I know the two of you a little bit, I know your background, I've read the book. You're, you're very giving people. And the, and, and by the name of the book again is? The Barefoot Spirit. The Barefoot how hardship, Spirit. How Hardship, Hustle, and Heart built America's number one wine brand. There you go. The bear, and we can learn a lot from a wine brand and that's you. So um, where was I going with this before I went, <laughs> went off track? Oh, giving back. It's uh, when so many good companies give to the community, they do it with altruistic reasons yeah. because they wanna be a part of the community. And I believe you can't fake that. And what happens is the people that are involved either in the event that you're helping you know, sponsor or the charity that you're involved with, they recognize who you are and they say, thank you very much. I'll support you because you support us. This is the way the world works. You can call it a marketing strategy if you want, but I believe it's the marketing strategy that pays back uh, because you give before you get. And you also, I believe, hoped for return, but you didn't demand it either. I think no. that's important. You've got to no. go in with, with the idea, I'm giving, and if I get back, then it works. Well, guess what? That's what happens. That's what reciprocity is. So it's a powerful lesson. Um, that's how you started, was you gave <laughs> and you got back. Shep, that's how we finished. We never stopped giving to the small communities where our product was available. We never had paid advertising, and we still grew to but one how of did the biggest selling wines. What? You were here in California. How do you give back to the small charitable organization that's in South Carolina or, you okay, know, so Montana? So we had, we had a group of folks out there that worked for us. We call them barefooters. And what they were was basically representatives. They were sales representatives. 
their job, aside from making sure that the distributors stayed in stock and making sure that the retailers didn't run out and that the signs were up, was to discover the groups within the neighborhoods surrounding the stores that were doing nonprofit work that were for the betterment of the community, the worthy causes. Discover those worthy causes and offer to help them not just with wine, but by taking their message and putting it on our bottles in that local store, like be sure to uh, attend the Surfrider Foundation uh, fundraiser this Saturday at the Veterans Memorial Hall. And that would be a little sign, you know, that we'd put on our, on our, our stuff. So the idea is that by promoting the goals of these nonprofits in every state in the union, we were able to create members who had a social reason to buy our product. Wow. Wow. The more you give, the more you get. All right. So you have this concept that everybody is in customer service. Yes, absolutely. So let's go there. Well, it's a two division company. That's what we believed in. And one is sales and customer service. That's the sales department. And mm -hmm. the other one is sales support. And that is everybody else. It was our winemaker. It was our marketing director. It was our CEO, our CFO, our VP, even our P. We were all in sales support because why would we be there if not for sales? That's right. where the money comes from. Well, it's not just where the money comes from. It's also where the feedback comes from. So the question is, who gets the feedback? Well, the salespeople get it, and so do the customer service people. So how do the salespeople and the customer service people communicate that to the rest of the club, see, to the other department we call sales support? That's what was interesting. And in our business, we would have a meeting every couple of months where we'd sit everybody down, salespeople and sales support people, and we would let the sales and customer service people tell us what was going on with the market, what was going on with our product, you know, the trends that were happening, what the customer wanted, how they were disappointed, et cetera. Wow, and so, so you're we, listening. And, and basically, this is just another way of saying everybody's in customer service. It's not just the department, but it's cultural, if not philosophical. So looking back, can you think of a big mistake that you made that you went, oh, I wish that hadn't happened, or maybe it did happen, and then you figured out how to fix it? Just well, one. well, Shep, you said that there was a time limit here, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Oh, okay. Well, like that. well okay. you got another one. He's got another story. Go ahead. Okay. I think the biggest mistake that we made, and a lot of businesses do this, is they think that because they have a great solution or a great service or a great product that the world's going to knock down windows and kick out doors to get to them to buy it. Um, they don't really understand that people are not going to be bowled over, you know, with facts and figures and, uh, you know, uh, aspects about your product, its qualities, you know, and whatnot, features and benefits, pricing. That's not going to do it. They buy you. They don't buy your product. The question is, can they depend on you to service what you sell? And do you really satisfy the, the customer service that they want? 
it isn't it isn't necessarily like in our case we thought that everybody wanted features and benefits so we beat him up we found out later that the guy we're talking to really wanted a strategic advantage he owned a distributorship he mm. wanted to know if he carried barefoot you know would it be carried by Kroger's would it be carried by Publix you know what big supermarkets could he gain by having barefoot that had nothing to do with the quality of the price you know and then the next guy and the next guy and the next guy everybody all the way down the line to the customer um they had different requirements for their customer experience and so we had to learn each one of them and we did it wrong we started off with features and benefits which is really what the end user wants but to get through the system you had to come up with what each person in the system wanted we had right. to put ourselves in the other guy's shoes. But there was lots of other guys. Yeah. So and, I, if I can summarize this, number one, uh, it's not field of dreams. If you build it, they will come is no. a myth. Okay. Yes. Uh, what you need to do is you need to go out and be very strategic. And I like to position it and say it this way. Uh, we don't want to be your vendor. In other words, we don't just want to be the place where you buy your wine or the company you buy your wine from. We want to be your partner. What can we do to align with you to help you be more successful with our product if you choose to buy us? Because if we can help make you successful, guess what? You're going to make us more successful. I think that's what you're saying. Absolutely. Amen to that, brother. All right. So we're, we're running out of time. And I have the one thing question, but I can tell that Bonnie had a story that she wanted to tell yeah. also. So let's hear that before I ask you my one thing question. I will. It's the story of Hawaii. It's when we first started off, what would be a better place to sell our product than Hawaii? With all the beaches, we've got free footprints on the sand advertising us all over the place. Barefoot half, prints, yeah. Half the bars are called barefoot. You know, it's like a slam dunk, right? So Michael goes over there, he gets a distributor, he rides with the salespeople. Yeah, I'll try to make this quick. And <laughs> Every place he sells, he sells the product. They go, oh, this is great. Great price, great label. So everybody bought, right? We sold a whole truckload. Well, two months go by, we don't get a reorder. So um, Michael goes back to Hawaii and he sees, well, what's going on over here? And the retailer said, oh yeah, we sold through as if that was the end of the story. Well, you didn't reorder. Oh no, your salesperson put another product up there in that same slot where yours was oh no oh, really not yeah your salesperson your distributor who you were work who you were selling to not to, our right? personal salesperson but the distributor's salesperson right. mm -hmm. so michael replaces all the shelves and replaces the bars and hotels etc comes back two months go by another no no reorder he says, well, I guess I got to go back to Hawaii. And I said, now, hold on. <laughs> Is he doing this on purpose, I wonder? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying yeah. to get a tan. Yeah, said. right. I said, we're spending a lot of money, you going over there, and we're not making enough. So we've got to try a different approach. Well, we found out that what we had to do was to have somebody on our staff, which we called the barefooter, that would go into every territory where our product was sold and work with the distributor and the retailer and the consumer in the neighborhoods where our product was sold in order to get the attention required. Now, this is really customer service at all levels. And they would not buy our product when we had 
all of those things in place with the barefooter, then we made sales like crazy, but our product didn't change. Yep. So it once again, if you build it, service. they will come isn't the way it works. You can no. build a great product, but you have to have a strategy to get it out there. And it sounds to me like your strategy was, let's partner with our distributors and our retailers. Let's help them be more successful. Great, great stories. All right. We have time for one more question. You guys can fight over who wants to answer it, or you can split up the answer. And that is the one thing you want this audience that's been listening to us to hear from you. Uh, if there's one idea, you can reiterate something or you can give us something brand new, some nugget of information. Well, I guess the idea is try not to fall in love with your product or service. Don't think that there's a value to your product or service that overpowers the need for really detailed customer service research. You have to start off, I don't care what your product is, start off asking a lot of questions, go up and down the line of distribution, find out what everybody needs, and then you better have a good product. But what's going to sell it is the answers to those questions. Right. So it's a great product combined with listening to your customers and delivering an amazing experience. This has been awesome. Thank you both for joining us. Michael Houlihan, Bonnie Harvey, founders of Barefoot Wine, authors, entrepreneurs, and just great people. Thanks for being on the show. Thank this you. has been great, Shep. Thank you. All right. Well, that's another episode of Amazing Business Radio. Come back next week. We're going to have another interview, and you I don't know who it's going to be yet, but I guarantee you it will be amazing. So until that time, this is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.